Hey everyone, I want to start this season off a little bit differently than I have in the past. As many of you have noticed, for the last two weeks I've been on hiatus. I left a message behind the finale of last season explaining why I did it. Basically, it's no secret, I live in Israel. There are things that are going on here over the last month, October 7th, that are just beyond belief, completely incomprehensible about what happens in the world, what the world that we're living in that we wouldn't expect these type of things to happen. After the events of October 7th, it was in a little bit of shock, just like uh, everyone else in the world. But for me, you know, living only 50 miles away from where everything was happening, it makes it even harder to try and grasp it. I'm familiar with people that were killed on that day, with people that were kidnapped on that day, with people that have been killed subsequently since that day. I debated for quite a while what I was gonna do with uh, season six. I'd already started recording. I already had nearly 30 episodes uh, under my belt at the time of October 7th, and at first I decided I needed to take a break, and I wasn't sure when I'd be able to get back into things. And thinking about it, over the course of the last month, I kept debating, what do I want to do? What is appropriate? What is not appropriate? You know, my country is right now in the midst of a, a, a war against terrorism, something that the, the whole world should be dealing with, should be supporting. Not the whole world is supporting it, obviously. There are many distorted ideas that are coming from both sides of the spectrum, Again, I try to keep my podcast as apolitical as possible, which is usually quite simple because, you know, we, we talk about old movies or anything dealing with politics. Every so often things come up here or there, but in general, I stay as far away from politics as all because, you know, there's, there's no reason to get there. The whole point is to have fun talking about movies that we love, and that's what I've been doing for the last five seasons. I'm going to continue with that. I'm not, I'm not going to make anything political here. There's no reason to make anything political. Here it's just a question of good versus evil. I debated for quite a long time as to what I was going to do. And, you know, I, I, I just wasn't sure what is appropriate and what is not appropriate, given the circumstances that my country is in right now and that, again, the whole world is involved in. My biggest fear of getting back into this was that I would, it would be perceived that I'm just being dispassionate or without feeling about what is going on. And the exact opposite is true. It's something that really is affecting me. It's affecting everyone in my country. And in, in some ways, it's also affecting everyone in the world. But when I came down to it, I looked at the situation and I said, you know, every so often you need to take a break from it. One of the things that I love about movies is it gives us a chance to take a break from what's going on in our lives. And I think this is a perfect opportunity for me to actually continue with this podcast. And it'll give me a little bit of a break every so often from the, the, the tragic news that we keep hearing about every day. As that's happening, I'm going to just get back into things. I don't know if it's completely considered a distraction, but it's just something for me to, you know, to, to, to get back into the regular things that I'm used to in life, you know, having a type of schedule and things like that. I, I think it also goes along with the fact that in life, we need to keep on track by doing things. It doesn't matter what's going on and it doesn't matter, you know, how we see things or anything like that. But the, the bottom line is that if I were to stop this podcast because of everything that's going on, in some ways I feel it would be as if, the, you know, terrorism has won. They're, you know, they have terrorized us. They've killed 1,400 of my countrymen. They've kidnapped 240 of my countrymen who we are still trying to find ways to get back. And we also want to dismantle the terrorist organization of Hamas. And if I were to say that the fear of continuing with my life and with my family's life and with everyone around me, our lives, despite all the tragedy around us, it would be as if we were saying that they won. So I've decided that what I'm going to do is continue with this season. 
and at the same time i will be dedicating every single episode to the 1400 members of my countrymen that were brutally massacred on october 7th every day i hope and pray that the 240 hostages will be released unharmed and obviously the most important thing i want to make sure is hoping and praying that we'll be able to dismantle the terrorist organization of hamas and stop the terror that they are inflicting upon us and upon their own citizens and upon the rest of the world so with that i will now turn things back over to myself from a few months ago when first recorded this first episode and we will continue from there have a great one and thank you everybody for listening Welcome to Season 6 of Movie Room Minutes. I want to once again thank all of my guests and listeners for helping me make the past five seasons such a fun success, for me at least, hopefully for all of you also. This season we'll be capper-esking our way through the 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life, One Minute at a Time. For those of you unfamiliar with the premise of what an MXM podcast is, it was originated by Alex Robinson and Pete Retailer back in 2012 where they began the Star Wars Minute, which is now in its 11th season. If it wasn't for their hard work over a decade ago, most of us would never be doing this. There are currently over 240 MXM podcasts as of this recording, and that number is continuing to grow. Unfortunately, not at a fast pace like it used to, but it, you know, every every few months we, we do get a few new shows coming out, and they're they're always fun to take a listen to. I want to once again give a shout out to all the MXMers who came before me for helping to inspire me to do this uh, very crazy idea. The Facebook forum has been really helpful. I've made a lot of new friends who have been very helpful to me in, the, in all the aspects of creating this kind of show. Many of them have become guests or uh, avid followers. On a personal note, I want to once again especially thank Jake Cluett of the Deep Blue Sea podcast and the concluded Con Air podcast for convincing me just a little over uh, two and a half years ago, for getting me to finally start doing my own show. Uh, and obviously now I'm six seasons in. I know he doesn't like to still take credit for it, but you know you, you still got to give credit for the, the person who uh, plants that original seed. Without Jay's encouragement uh, at the beginning and over the past five full seasons, and preparation for this season, this probably never would have come to fruition. So I want to thank him for that. In addition, I want to also thank uh, Travis Bow for the past few seasons and for this current season for creating the logo and poster art. And I also want to thank uh, David Brooke for once again bringing his musical intro and outro interludes to this season. So you just heard what uh, David put in, put together for, for the intro. And at the end of this episode, you will hear the outro. So thanks a lot, guys. This season will have 26 weeks of shows delivered to you every weekday from now until the beginning of the end of April. So sit back and enjoy everything in these 131 episodes as my weekly guests and I will begin to dissect this amazing classic in minute detail, one minute at a time. I'm doing things slightly different once again, and I hope to give my listeners so much to enjoy as my guests and I dive deep into the movie over the next six plus months. Look out for five new features that will appear throughout the show. We have Capra Monday. We have Off the Beaten Track Uplifting Experience Edition. We have Jimmy Stewart Thursday. And then we will have two other brand new features. It's a Wonderful Wednesday. 
an Oscar Oops Friday. So hopefully you'll hopefully it'll work a little better than than some of the other new ones that I tried last season that uh, that didn't work out as well. So you know that that's the good thing about new seasons you get to keep changing things around and uh, seeing how things work. And if something doesn't work, then you just switch it around for the next season. My guest once again for the inaugural week is my good friend Jay Clute of the Deep Blue Sea podcast and the currently f- uh, finished Con Air podcast. So you can go check those both out. Welcome back to the show, Jay. Thank you, Rob. I once again had to sit in silence through you raising me for getting you started on this show. And once again, you are welcome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> happy to be here, be here. Thrilled to be here. Although I think uh, this is the, the first season where it makes no sense that I'm your first guest. We'll get into it, but this isn't, I shouldn't be here to kick off It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, I, I feel like I'm not. Yeah, why not? It doesn't I, matter. I don't think, I, I don't think it makes a difference. I, I don't think we need to have a specific person. I, I think I have a feeling of who you think maybe should have been the first person, but you know, it doesn't a, make a difference. A, a fairly long list of people who are better qualified than I to discuss this film to kick off the season. I just well, want any of, your, any of your listeners who are put off by, my lack of knowledge of this era of, of cinema should definitely stick with the show and come back in future weeks because you will have people on who have seen this film more times than I have, <laughs> who are more familiar with this film. I am not uh, indicative of the rest of your flock of guests, shall we say. Yeah, that's fine. It's, it's, again, it's it's the idea of, of movie fans uh, talking about a movie. Sure. And you know, hopefully, it's something that that uh, everyone who's on will want to will will be interested in talking about the things that go on in this movie. You know, the fact that this movie take, uh, came out seventy seven years ago uh, doesn't detract from the fact that uh, you know we can still talk about it and still look at things from from today's perspective, but also from from the perspective of that era of when it came out and and what this type of story you know means to people and stuff like that. So I, I don't have a problem. I have no problem having you as my inaugural guest. So don't worry about that. We're also not going to deep. We're not going to dive too deep into the whole religious aspects of, of this of this story. So you don't have to worry about that. I will have a you know a a religious expert on about uh, two thirds of the way through through this uh, season. So you know we'll, we'll get his perspectives on it when we get there. I'm just going to cross out some of my notes for tomorrow. We're not going into religious aspects. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to cross them out. We can, we can, we can discuss them. That's not the problem. The movie that we're doing is the 1946 Best Picture nominee. It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'm just going to give some general stuff about it now because as we go through, I mean, one of the things that 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 I find really interesting about older movies is you know you have all the credits at the beginning instead of having it at the end. So you know you usually don't get that much that many credits. You know you get the last. You know, when you do the last episode with me, Jay, so, you know, you get the last, uh, you know, 30 seconds of credits or whatever it is, which is usually, you know, the, the copyright and stuff like that, because we, we usually don't have that much to talk about. But here we, we have, you know, at least two and a half minutes of, of credits for us to talk about. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, exactly. So It's a Wonderful Life is it came out in uh, 1946. It is based on the short story by uh, Philip Van Doren Stern called The Greatest Gift. Have, have you ever read it? I have not. Okay. I, I actually uh, read it just a few months ago. It's interesting. It's very different from the movie, which I find really funny that, you know, it's based on it. It, it has a general premise, but most of it is completely very different. He actually based the story loosely on the idea of uh, Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, which basically came out a hundred years earlier in 1843. 
Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, the the movie was a it basically bombed at theater. It made about three point three million dollars, and that was what they actually. That's what it pretty much cost them to make the movie. You know, so they they broke even, but they you know the the, the break even at that time at least uh, today things are much different. But the the break even at that point was double. You needed to make uh, you know they needed to make more than six million dollars in order for it to to be considered. A success. Uh, the movie got uh, very mixed reviews at the time, and no one really cared much about it. <laughs> you know, it it got nomination. It got five nominations at the Oscars. Um, it was nominated for best film editing, best sound recording, best actor for Jimmy Stewart, best director for Frank Capra, and best picture. It lost all five of them. Do you know to what movie it lost four out of five of those? Best Years of Our Lives. That is correct. Yeah, that's right. Uh, an, another another film that that, that you've talked about. You yes. know, So you you do have some experience talking about older movies. Yeah. Sure. But I, I mean, yeah, I have seen older films, like, but I'm just not an expert on them. Shall we say? Like, you know, the podcast I do is is Deep Blue Sea. That's a very different film to this one. Correct. Okay, that's fine. You know, I I don't think any of us claim to be actually I don't claim to be an expert on on classic films. No. You know, I just uh, like talking about movies that I love. That's what it comes down to. The copyright on the movie actually lapsed in 1974, and after that, it entered the public domain, and they started you know using it as filler on on TV, and it ended up becoming a Christmas classic because of that. Because you know because it was free, so many stations wanted to 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 start showing it. So here you had this uh, movie that became. That, I mean, what, what's what's your history with this movie? Do you remember when the first time you saw it was? Uh, I've only seen it. I, I think when I saw it yesterday, I think it was the third time I've seen it. Wow. Okay. Um, and I watched it like the second time was a few years ago for another podcast episode, for a Lamcast episode. And the first time, I don't know. I just know that I'd seen it at some point prior to then. But it's it's not like a big. It feels like quite quite an American film. I don't know how big it is in in England. I don't know. It's obviously, it's known. People watch it, uh, but it's not like a, a classic that's shown all the time over Christmas. I've never I never sat down and saw it with my family. Uh, I've never kind of like this is on TV at Christmas. We have to watch this every Christmas. It, that's just never that that kind of a film. So I just I've known it as a classic film that you should know about, and I do know about it, uh, but I've never watched it religiously. Uh, yeah. But I mean, okay. I, I like it. It's a, great, it's a fantastic film. Don't get me wrong. It's a great film. I've just only seen it like now three times. And, I, okay. and when I watched it for this, it's quite a busy uh, time for me at the moment. I watched this as Frank Capra intended uh, on my phone whilst doing the watching up. <laughs> okay. Why not? That's, <laughs> I we, all, we all do that. We all, we all find ways to, you know, to find time to watch different things that we want to watch. So that, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, it was my first time film, seeing so. That's right. I mean, I, I first saw it when I was, I think, 16. I'd, I'd heard about it years before, and I just never had any real desire to see it. And I was once uh, over at a friend's house, and the whole group of us there, and someone suggested, why don't we watch It's a Wonderful Life? And most of us were like, eh, what do I want to watch it for? And they put it on, and I got to say, I loved it from the first time I saw it. You know, I think the, the movie has an amazing story and an amazing message, which, which baffles me to hear that in 1946 – it didn't do well. You know, you'd think that right after World War II, that's the time when people were looking for something that was more inspiring and inspirational and things like that. It's, it, it depends on how they tried to sell it, I guess, because if you pitch the story, it's not 
it's not a fun time. Like the the overall story is this guy has a life that he hates, and you see every aspect, of, every step of his life that he hates, and how it gets worse and worse for him, and then he tries to kill himself. <laughs> and yeah, it uplifts at the end, but you've got a real slog to get through of stuff that sounds like it's going to be terrible. Yeah, there's some uh, fun moments spliced in there, and when you get to the end and you look back on it, you think you it's the life well lived, the richest guy in town, going you. In retrospect, it's all been fun and pleasant and great, but as you're going through it, it's less so. Uh, you know, it's 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 the Shawshank Redemption has the same thing. Our film didn't do very well upon initial release, and a film you and I both love. Yes. But looking at it now, it's great. It's a classic. Everyone loves it. It should have won Best Picture. Yes. Forrest Gump. Hmm. Uh, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so. I mean, nowadays, this is actually considered one of the greatest films of all time, and it's considered among the best Christmas films. Uh, the American Film Institute nominated it as uh, one of the 100 best American films ever made. It was on the it was on the American Film Institute's greatest movie list in 1998. It was listed as number 11. On the 2007 greatest movie list, it was, num- it was listed as number 20, and it is number one on the... American Film Institute's list of most inspirational American films. So okay. that that sort of makes sense. You know, you th- this this is, I mean, you you're right when you say the fact that the story takes a little to get through because it's you know th- this is a man who doesn't realize how happy he is with what he's doing. You know, he's always looking elsewhere. Yeah. You know, that reminds me of what Yoda says about Luke, but whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? Maybe maybe uh, Lucas got it from there. You never know. Probably. But the the idea is is that that eventually, he, first of all, he's very good at what he does, and he has a lot of passion for what he does, except for the fact that you know he wants to be elsewhere. Yeah, it's, which it's not, I mean, it's later on in the movie, to do. that's right. But later on in in the the movie, there's there's even a quote where someone says, "Well, if if uh, you know if George had gone to World War II, he would have he would have." Uh, you know, he would have then gotten well, twice sure as many medals. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, that, that's when uh, Uncle Billy says that to, to Mr. Potter. But I, I mean, I, I do like the the way that the story plays out because, you know, that, that's the way it is for everybody in their life. You know, you 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 have certain dreams. You don't necessarily you aren't able to necessarily realize every one of those dreams, and you think that what you're doing you're just doing as a as a placeholder. Until you get to that dream, but if you look back, you you realize that you wouldn't get to where you were if you wouldn't have done if you wouldn't have gone through all those steps. Yeah, you know that type of thing. After the story was published by uh, Van Dorn Van Dorn Stern, so it was bought up by RKO Pictures for ten thousand dollars, and they wanted to use it as a uh, vehicle for uh, Cary Grant. They wanted Cary Grant to, to star in this film. Uh, it just never really worked. I can imagine Cary Grant not being the right fit for this. He'd be a little yes. too acerbic. Yeah. 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 I, I, I like Cary Grant. I like him a lot, but this isn't right for him. He's not an everyman. I agree. No. No, he's not. Even though he was in, you know, some Capra films, but uh, where he played a sort of everyman, but you know, not not in this one. <laughs> No, he wouldn't have worked there. The truth is, I don't. I don't think very many uh, actors would have worked out as well as 
Jimmy Stewart does here. I think you know it's it's, it's hard hard for us to really know, but you know, I mean, they wanted to give the role to Henry Fonda. I, yeah, I can I can see that. I think he'd, he'd be better than Cary Grant, but not as good as Jimmy Stewart. I think yeah. Jimmy Stewart is is perfectly cast. Correct. And so RKO tried getting a whole bunch of different people to write the the script for the for this movie, and they had a lot of trouble because uh, they had Dalton Trumbo write a, write a version and Clifford Oditz and Mark Connolly, and none of them worked. They just, they just couldn't get get anything right. In in uh, Dalton Trumbo's draft, he had uh, George Bailey as a politician who grows uh, cynical as the story progresses, and then. Uh, after losing an election, he tries to commit suicide. And then an angel shows him that, you know, the whole town would have, would have been different had he never been born. And I that, uh, had to, he gone in in, Trumbo, in, I assume in Trumbo's version, he tried to commit suicide in the bath. You know, that's what Trumbo used to always do. Yeah. Not commit suicide in the bath, just right in the bath. <laughs> yeah, it, it just never worked. And it was sitting on the shelf in, in RKO for a number of years until uh, at some point, um, Frank Capra, got uh, a hold of it and he had just uh, started a, a new uh, production company called Liberty Films which we'll, we'll talk about shortly and he was able to buy up the rights for $10,000 and they even threw in all of the the earlier scripts that they had uh, written in order for for him to try to put something together so he got it together a whole group of writers uh, Francis Goodrich Albert Hackett Joe Swirling Michael Wilson and Dorothy Parker and they did many drafts of the screenplay, but basically Capra wanted it to be his own. So most of these writers uh, got very upset at Capra because he was trying to take as much control of the script itself. And he pretty much pissed everyone off. And I, I think most of them refused to, to speak to Capra after, after this movie came out. And they even had to go to court to try to decide, you know, who gets the, the writing credit and things like that. So that that that's in general what, about this uh, this whole movie. Do you know how what percentage of fresh or rotten is this on uh, Rotten Tomatoes? What I would you not, guess? I haven't checked. I guess it would be somewhere in the ninety six percent region. Very close. Ninety four. Ninety four. Ninety four. Okay. okay. Um, and where is it listed on IMDb? Do you think it's in the top two hundred? <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> Um, I imagine it's, it's probably up there near the top 20. Probably. Very good. 21. It, hey. As of today. You know, these are things that change yep. uh, daily. You know, the new 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 movies come out and uh, it changes everything. Uh, it has an 8.6 uh, rating on IMDb. And it has, uh, there are 478,000 votes on that. It's a hard film it, to dislike. That is correct. Negatively. That is correct. Um, there, there are people who do. You yeah. know, if you if you Six go into percent. the ratings on on IMDb, you can see how many people, uh, you know, decided that they they didn't like it. What did you say? Six percent of Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, and ah, on Rotten Tomatoes. Right. right. Now I was I was talking about uh, you know from from IMDb. Yeah, I think I, mean, according, I, I, according, I once did a, a fairly short film class. Where the, the teacher in that hated all Frank Capra films, including this one. Nah, okay. So <laughs> it happens. I think he just—they're all like cloying and sweet and saccharine was his uh, his take. 
Interesting. I don't okay. see that. There are on on IMDb. There are about seven thousand uh, votes that give it a one. You know, out of wow. the four hundred and seventy-eight thousand. That's people for you. And that's right. And then uh, there are two point three thousand and two point eight thousand that give either two or threes. Uh, four, fours. There are four point five thousand. Five is nine point six. Six is four point one. Uh, sorry, six. Six is uh, twenty thousand. Okay. Then if you go up uh, beyond that, so there's uh, fifty-two thousand people that give it a seven. A hundred and two thousand that give it an eight. One hundred eighteen thousand that give it a nine. And I know you're. I know you're an engineer, but I'm not going to let you try and figure out all the math now to figure out. What, what we got number the 10, but there were 160,000 that give it yeah, a 10. I lost track of some of the numbers there. <laughs> that's okay. No, that's okay. There's, there's certain things you really can't test them on. <laughs> it just wouldn't be fair. <laughs> okay, so let's get into the movie. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the first uh, few minutes of this movie, there is basically no dialogue. We're just going to be dealing with uh, the credits. So the, the movie opens up with uh, a credit for Liberty Films. What would be your guess? Okay, Liberty Films was originally created by uh, Frank Capra and Samuel Griskin. And within a few months, they had two more partners that joined them, uh, William Wyler and George Stevens. So they had uh, four partners. How many movies do you think this production company successfully uh, made? Oh, it's either going to be like one or 20,000. <laughs> and I'll, yeah, I'll give you a hint. This was this was the very first movie that was uh, that was released under the banner of Liberty Films. It's not a film production company I I have heard of outside of watching this film. So I'm going to say ten. The answer is two. Two. Okay, that's close. <laughs> Along the right lines. Yes, is this movie and uh, the the movie Jurassic Park? Yes, and <laughs> and State of the Union. Which uh, which starred uh, Spencer Tracy, uh, th- which came out in 1948. Those are the only two movies that basically uh, Capra showed that he terrible at at uh, producing or running a production company. Basically, and they basically drove this uh, company into the ground. They they ended up they 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 were actually given a a way for them to be bought out, and uh, Paramount wanted to to buy them up in uh, May of 1947. So think about it. This was even just a few months after, you know, It's a Wonderful Life came out. It's a Wonderful Life came out in December 46. And in May, they were already being bought out by Paramount. And part of the deal with Paramount is that they would continue uh, working on some of the the movies that they, uh, you know, they started working on. And the only two that were eventually released with the, with, with the Liberty Bell Films was this movie and, and State of the Union. There was there was another movie called I Remember Mama, which is sort of connected to it, but it not really is. So, yeah, it wasn't very successful. So it could be back, based on what you said, that, that the reason this movie fell in the box office had more to do with the way it was being presented, you know, to, to, to the audience than the movie itself, you know, just looking so. at the story. I feel like if they'd made the story of uh, of Tari's life, the the war hero, that would have been more easily easier to sell, I guess. But that's kind of the point. Yeah, but if it, but it's a, but it, 
but if they would have done it from from Harry's perspective, then you know, you mean, meaning that Harry at the end of the war wanted to commit suicide. No, hmm. as in you, you, you're just telling the story of this this kid who uh, grew up idolizing his big brother, like makes a name for himself, goes off to war as a war hero. That's that's a more traditional uplifting narrative. Right. But yeah, the, the, the whole point of this film is like, yes, he's had a great life, but so so have you. You guy at home who's had a, a less than a less impressive life, it's still a wonderful life. Right. Okay, that's fair. Right. So again, we we have the the beginning with Liberty Film, and then it has a very strange picture of you know a, a couple that's on a horse and buggy. That uh, I I tried it's, uh, picture the basically I love the, I love how they do it. It was all static um, pieces of paper where they were working on the piece of photography that are just removed one by one. It kind of feels like Christmas cards or Christmas uh, uh, wrapping paper or stamps or something. But it's just you know people put up pictures at Christmas sometimes. This feels like just a, right. a cover of a Christmas card or a Christmas book. And all the because you know there's there's holly around the Frank Capra. It's it's wonderful life. It's holly. And berries around that one. You've got that Chris Heller story is the same thing as watching a film. And so, it, yeah, I, okay, I get what you're saying that the story being told or the memories being flashed back are being flashed back from this Christmas Day, but we're being shown so much that's not happening on Christmas Day. So, right, I, I'm fine with this being considered a Christmas film. I'm just saying that if you had your Friday question of is this a Christmas film compared to Die Hard, I would say less so. Okay. That's her. I will. I will. Uh, I will give you credit for that. <laughs> so then the you know the I mean I like the way that they have it that it's like a book that someone is turning the pages. You know, once again it goes back to the idea of showing us that okay, you know, there's something. Uh, you know, we're we're telling you a story. And it's know. a very a very effective and. I'm going to guess fairly inexpensive method of showing credits. I can't remember how most credits are done at this time, whether they're all static images that are moved off from a piece of paper, but I right. like mm-hmm. that's how they do it. Yeah. It looks nice. Yeah. Then we get the basic title title card of the movie where it says, Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life in RKO Radio Release. Now, did you notice that there's a mistake on this, uh, on this title card? Uh, I... Didn't. I'm looking at it now. I'm trying to see if I can spot it. Uh, I'm not going to try and work out what the Roman numerals are. Uh, no, I did not. What is the mistake? Please tell me. Well, you do need to figure out the Roman numerals. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, the Roman numerals. Okay, 1900. Oh, God. What's L? L's 50, I think. L is 50. Uh, okay, so 19. X, XL is 40. 1950. Oh, yeah, so they've got the L. Wait. The, the X before the L means it's 40, and then it's 47. Yeah, 1947. And the movie came out in 1946. 46. Okay. <laughs> Roman numerals are stupid. <laughs> I feel like yes. a, a, a long Roman numeral is like a logic problem. We're trying to work out what the date is. It, it shouldn't be. I'm so glad we invented numbers. I'm so happy with that happened. Yeah, but they still, they still in movies nowadays, they still have the Roman numerals at the end. Right, but that's that's the only place that you ever see them. It's, Correct. It's, okay, but I, I've so, seen a lot of movies, so I know 
you know, I, I, I never look at it. You see, I, I just look at the, 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 the last digit, basically. So I saw the VII meaning seven, and I was like, okay, something's wrong there. And then, you know, then, then I'll go back and look at the whole thing. So, so do we yeah. know why? The, well, I, the only the only explanation that I can give is that the 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 wide release was in 1947. Okay, that's that's the only answer that I could theoretically give for this. So, if you could grab, um, get hold of the the print when it's just on like the uh, the small release, you could do what you want with it for a few for a short period of time until 47 get around. Right. I mean, the the movie came out in on January seventh, nineteen forty seven. Okay. Uh, for general release, but it had an earlier release beforehand. You know, which makes sense because they probably would want it to come out, you know, around Christmas time. Or maybe the copy that we're watching is from that uh, later release, and there was a different title card for the earlier release that said forty six. Um, I let's put this way. I doubt it. I doubt it. Yeah, but it, it is possible. I, I don't think that that it, at any point do they change you know title cards once a movie is released. Star Wars. Did they change the title card? I don't know. It now says a new hope. I don't think it used to. Um, no, it says a new hope at the at the beginning of the crawl. It always says a new hope at the beginning the, of the crawl. Uh, uh, the specialized edition. So I'm <laughs> just gonna. I don't know. I, I've only seen the, yeah. the re-release. I'll, I'll, I'll have to. Ah, yes, well, okay, that's true. You, you haven't seen that. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. But still, you know. So who knows? Maybe they changed it. Maybe they didn't. Then the uh, we, we get the next uh, credit card. Credit card. Uh, it's, it's actually the only one here of the actors that has a... Uh, a, a title card all to their self, all to themselves. So we have uh, starring James Stewart. Uh, we'll we'll, we'll talk more about Jimmy Stewart later in the movie. Yeah, I think he should have his own title card for this film. This is very much yes. his film. For sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that he shouldn't get it. I, I agree that he should. And I love the way that they do the next title card because they go and Donna Reed with Lionel Barrymore, Thomas Mitchell, and Henry Travers. Who basically these characters, which we will get to, you know, as the movie moves on. Donnery plays his wife Mary. Lionel Barrymore plays Mr. Potter. Uh, not not Harry Potter. Do you know his first name? Could be. Uh, don't. Henry. Henry Potter. Oh, okay, sure. Okay. Um, Thomas Mitchell, who plays Uncle Billy, and Henry Travers, who plays Clarence. Not um, in the film as much as I thought he was. I remember nope. Clarence being in more of the film. No, not at all. Yeah. And what, what's interesting is, is that uh, you know a lot of time we just hear uh, we hear his voice. Yes. Because um, I mean, even as we'll talk about later this week, we we don't get to see him this week. We get to just hear his voice. We only get we'll only get to see him probably like a hundred minutes into the movie when Days we see him away. physically. That's months away. That's right. That is definitely months away. And then we get uh, another uh, title card which has ten supporting roles. Uh, Beulah Bondi, Frank Phelan, Ward Bond, Gloria Graham, H.B. Warner, Todd Carnes, Samuel Hines, Mary Treen, Frank Albertson, and Virginia Patton. So they, they just lump everyone in there together. Yeah. You know, these, once, these, once you get past those main characters, it is an ensemble. That's right. 
That's right. And we'll talk about all of them when we get through it. Uh, when we get get later on. Uh, screenplay by Francis Goodrich, Albert Hackett, and Frank Capra. Obviously, as I mentioned earlier, Frank Capra got his name <laughs> listed on the screenplay. Additional scenes by Joe Swirling. Uh, Joe Swirling used to be really good friends with uh, with Capra, and their their friendship ended after this this after he did that by writing additional scenes, as opposed to giving him real credit for for what uh, for what he should have done. He actually uh, wrote the um, he wrote dozens of screenplays, including uh, Pride of the Yankees, which he got a, an Oscar nomination for, a Lifeboat, and he was uncredited for uh, Gone with the Wind. And he actually uh, also wrote Guys and Dolls. I have seen Lifeboat. I covered it on DBC. You, you talked about it. Oh, sorry, you did talk about it on DBC. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, very easy to work out like how a, deep and blue it was. That's true. It's completely. <laughs> it's not as black and white and on the surface the whole way through. That's that right. <laughs> but uh, no, Life Lifeboat is actually my favorite Hitchcock film. You know, the fact that like you can make an entire story just about people, you know, like uh, 10 people in a lifeboat. Coming up next, um, Lifeboat Minute. There you go. <laughs> And swirling, well, not up next, but uh, maybe <laughs> it's it's on my list eventually. But it's it's pretty far down there. Uh, so Joe Swirling was the father waves? of. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's what do you know about compasses? Yeah. <laughs> what do you know about ampu- amputations? You know, they're gangrene. <laughs> he was the father of Peter Swirling who became a radar theoretician and became one of the, the most renowned people in that field uh, in the second half of the 20th century. And he has another son named Joe Swirling Jr., who was a TV producer who produced shows like Alias Smith & Jones, The Rockford Files, Beretta, The Greatest American Hero, Prophet, and The A-Team. Always, whenever I hear the, the name Alias Smith & Jones, always makes me laugh because there was a a British uh, sketch show, I think it was, called Alas, Smith and Jones. Uh, uh-huh. With Mel Smith and Griff Rhys-Jones were the two. And I, I knew of that way before I knew of Alias, Smith and Jones. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that makes sense. I've never heard of that one before, but that, that, that's fine. And it says here, based on a story by Philip Van Dorenstern. So, first of all, what's noticeable here for anyone who's read the history of this, is there was another writer who goes uncredited here, and that writer is uh, Michael Wilson. Have you ever heard that uh, name before? No. Okay, so he was blacklisted, and he was a collaborator with... Is it Michael G. Wilson? Is that what I'm thinking of? Or is that somebody else? Don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I can't believe I can't remember this. Ugh. Michael G. Wilson wrote, wrote James Bond films. That's what I'm thinking of. Ah, is that what it is? No, it's probably not. Yeah, he's, he's active in the 70s. Uh, so that's a little after this film. Yeah. So Michael Michael Wilson was a collaborator with uh, David Lean. And he he was the uh, writer of The Bridge on the River Kwai and Lawrence of Arabia. But because he was blacklisted at the time, they put someone else's name on the credits. Uh, I, believe, I believe The Bridge on the River Kwai, which... At some point, maybe we will talk about also in the future. Um, 
the the writing credit is Pierre Bull, who wrote the novel in French, who doesn't like speak a word of English. You know, and he was he actually won an Oscar for that. <laughs> and they they possibly uh, awarded him an Oscar for Bridge on the River Kwai uh, many years after he passed away. He was uh, one of the, the the writers of the story also. So I mentioned earlier about uh, you know the the original story, The Greatest Gift. So I will quickly uh, recount what happened in The Greatest Gift. Basically, it's about a guy who, who uh, you know, doesn't like his life, decides he wants to commit suicide, and he stands on a bridge on Christmas Eve, and as he's standing there, he gets uh, approached by a man uh, dressed very strangely with a bag, and the man starts talking to him, and then he tells the man that, he's, that he wishes he was never born, and then the man tells him, okay, your wish has been granted. And then he tells him that you should take this bag and pretend to be a door-to-door brush salesman if anyone asks you, you know, who you are and what you're doing here. So he returns to the town, and he realizes that nobody knows him. None of his friends uh, know who he is. Uh, many of them have their, – their lives have taken uh, paths that are, were not as good as what they were beforehand because he wasn't there to help them along. He had a little brother who – uh, who he saved from death in a swimming accident when he was younger, but his brother died because he wasn't there to rescue him. Um, he finds that his wife has been married to somebody else. And when he tries to confront her, her husband uh, chases him out of the place. And then their son starts uh, shooting him with a little toy cap gun and says, you're dead. Why won't you die? <laughs> In the end, he goes back to the to the bridge, questions the the man that's there, and tells him that uh, you know. And the man says to him that why do you want anything more? You've already been given the greatest gift, the gift of life. And uh, the man man then George begs to, uh, the man to give him his life back. The man agrees. He returns home and sees that everything has been restored to normal. He ends up uh, you know hugging his wife, and she doesn't really know what's going on, obviously. And he is about to try and explain to her what it is. And then he, he bumps into Then he like reaches behind the couch and, re- and feels one of the brushes that he was trying to sell her earlier. And then he knows that, uh, you know, that it really did happen. So obviously the, 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 the 20 something page story is not as good as the one in the movie, but I guess the general idea is what uh, what they were looking for here. The next time somebody came door to door trying to sell him a brush, wondered did that guy think this is this is someone I used to know? This is like someone who's made that That's right. wish. No, never trust a brush salesman. <laughs> it's the moral of that story, I think. All right, then we get to the next uh, credit where we have the musical score written and directed by Dimitri Tiamkin. And then the the next one, once again, they you know it's it's funny that that Tiamkin gets his own uh, credit. And then the next one has a whole bunch of credits. Director, directors of photography, Joseph Walker and Joseph Birak. Special ph- photographic effects, Russell Cully. Art director, Jack Oakey. Set directions, Emil Curry. And makeup supervision, Gordon Bow. You know, so I just find it funny that you have, you know, credit with one person and a credit with six people. Yeah. And, well, and I mean, then the musical score, know, uh, the Dimitri Chumpkin credit has bells on it because he's the music guy. So I like when they do that. That's right. The set decoration has a little church. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 
with a broken fence. Well, at least they, uh, you know, are, are trying a little bit. Yes. <laughs> you know, you think they would have put a book on the one with all the, the writers or something like that, but no. Nothing at all. But that's got little lanterns. Maybe they're right so, in the dark. Let's see if I candlelight. <laughs> Find your way because Frank Copper is the one who is going to be writing. Who's going to get the, the, the writing credit? There we go. <laughs> Could be. Anything's possible. Um, so, is there anything you want to say about any of these uh, crew members? Uh, I, I haven't heard of most of them, so no. Okay. That is fair. And to them, I apologize. That is, that is more, more problem than that. Right. <laughs> um, now, the only one that I've heard of before is uh, Dimitri Tiamke. You know, that you've, you've never heard of him before? I have not. I'm not a big uh, composer guy. I'm not a big scorehead. A scorehead? I've never I heard made that it up. used before. <laughs> you just made it up. So he, he did the score for High Noon, The Guns of Navarone, Giant, Dial M for Murder. I mean, he has, on IMDb, he has a 149 credits in the music department and 126 credits as a composer. So th this is a guy who was pretty busy. I wonder if he ever won an Oscar. I'm assuming he did the type of work that he did. Oh, wow. He has a lot of Oscar nominations. He has 22 Oscar nominations over the course of his of his career. How many wins do you think he has? Um, three or four. You are correct. Eight. He has four wins. Well, that he win? He won for best score for High Noon. Best original song for High Noon, Do Not Forsake Me, Omer Darlin. Best score for The High and Mighty. Have you ever heard of that movie? I heard of it, but couldn't tell you anything about it. It's it's actually a John Wayne movie from 1954, which the movie Airplane used a lot of the the, the scenes from that movie. You know, they, they, they parodied a lot of the things in the movie. I'm not talking about Zero Hour. Sure. You know, where they where where they took the plot. <laughs> the other one that he got was a he won an Oscar for in nineteen fifty nine for the, the music on the old man and the sea. Yes, I've I've heard of that one. But uh yeah, I mean wow, some of the some of the movies that, that he was nominated here for. Uh fifty five days of Peking, he had two two nom two nominations for that movie. Uh The Guns of Navarone, The Alamo. He got two two nominations. I guess he he worked a lot with John Wayne. Uh Friendly Persuasion, Giant, The Corskin Brothers. And that is not the the Corsican brothers with uh, Cheech and Chong. I have not heard of either. It's the original one from 1942. So, yeah. All right. So, Jay, have anything else you want to say about this minute? No, I think we've, we've covered it. All right. Very good. So, every Monday we have a segment called Capra Monday, where my guests will give their top five Frank Capra movies. So, Jay, why don't you start with your number five and work your way up? I'm actually going to do the opposite. I'm going to start with my one and work my way down, and you'll see why soon. Because uh, so, I'm assuming your number one is the only one you've seen. Well, my number one, is, no, it, it, that is not true. My number one is It's a Wonderful Life. It's it's the, the best Frank Capra film I've seen. Number two is It Happened One Night. I remember that film being a lot of fun. Uh, number three, I think I've seen Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, but I don't remember it. And then that's the end of my list. I have not seen more than three Frank Capra films. I am sorry. Uh, so yeah, I've only, so I've only seen It's a Wonderful Life. I've only seen those three, but there are plenty of other uh, Frank Capra films that I'd read, like to see. You know, I've, um, I've had Mr. Deeds Goes to Town on DVD for ages uh i just never got to it arsenic and lace sounds great but it's even again sounds great but you can't take it with you lost horizon i've heard good things about them and then he's got this film submarine that is, sounds perfect to cover on deep we see the podcast we we cover like aquatic films oh wow so, okay if, well if you need if you need someone to be on that you can feel free to get in touch with me i will do thank you i was going to pitch that so Ooh, we'll, i go. will try and who knows maybe we've already 
uh, record, done a recording and it's come out the same week that this has. Maybe we, that'll be some kind of a plan. If uh, maybe. That same week it'll come out soon. It's, well, I've never seen it. Maybe. It's, we'll it's we'll a, see what we can do. It's a movie from 1928. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, sure. I, I yes. am game. I, I had a, I've had a quick search and can't find it yet, which is odd. I figured it might be just on YouTube at this point. Uh, but it's it's not there yet. But we'll, we'll track it down. I, I look forward to hearing more of your other guests who have seen more Frank Capra films. <laughs> that's true me too me too <laughs> all right so jay you want to tell people where they can get in touch with you uh, yeah so the the main site as we talked about is is deep blue sea the podcast at where myself and my co-host mark hoffmeyer many times before and i went through the deep blue sea trilogy all three of them scene by scene one one scene a week and we're now looking at some deep blue sea adjacent films which is films directed by Rennie harlan Featuring sharks or aquatic action like Submarine from Frank Capra. And Rob, you came on to talk about Rennie Harlan's first film, Born American. Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. An, an interesting film with an underground uh, very. white club person. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you can find that if you search uh, Deep Blue Sea uh, dash the podcast, much anywhere podcast can be found, or follow us on all kinds of social media, whatever it may be called these days, uh, at Deep Blue Sea Pod. All right. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for a movie around minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on uh, Twitter, which is now known as X for some strange reason. And you can find me on my website, moviearoundminutes.com. So until tomorrow, hot dog. Hot dog. I love you truly, truly Life with its sorrow, life with its tears.